A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Andor Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David. I'm John. And this is our podcast for the Star Wars Disney Plus show, Andor, Season 1, Episodes 1 through 6. In this episode, we'll be discussing our overall thoughts on the first half of the season, giving a breakdown of two major story arcs that have aired, and sharing our favorite moments from the episode. Before we get started, a quick reminder that you can send feedback to andor at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those questions on the next episode. And if you want to keep talking Star Wars with us, join us in the Bald Move Discord server, link in the description below, and at baldmove.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed to get all our content about Andor, The Rings of Power, The White Lotus, and other upcoming shows. And please, if you have a moment, rate and review our podcast to help other people find it. This season of Andor, we're covering future episodes by Major Story Arc. You can expect our coverage for the standalone episode 7 on Saturday, October 22nd. And then the following two story arcs, we should have two more podcasts out for those. Now, let's get into our overall thoughts. John, what's your background with the Star Wars universe? You know, Star Wars is something that I love and that is something that's always been in my life, pretty much. Uh, I have a different love for it than I have for the Tolkien universe because Tolkien's universe, I like to turn over every leaf and see what's underneath it. Star Wars is like, it's that shiny thing I like, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of pizzazz to it. There's a lot of uh, really cool moments in it and there's a lot of cultural significance to it. Um, but it's not something where I go deep into the lore. And part of it is that the lore is just so different from something like Tolkien, where one guy is putting together this really consistent universe. Whereas in Star Wars, you have a legendarium that spans decades of many, many, many writers, even if it comes from the mind of George Lucas originally. Uh, and maybe the canon doesn't line up all the time. I know some things were discarded when Disney bought... Uh, the, the franchise, and uh, so it's it's just sort of a different type of medium, uh, a different type of universe that uh, I have a, sort of a, a separate love for. Um, I know my my dad showed me the Star Wars movies when I was too young to even remember them, uh, and uh, he took me out of school one day to see Revenge of the Sith. That's a good memory, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it's always been in my life. I, I love a good Star War, as the kids say. 
and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. So, David, what's, uh, what's your background on Star Wars? Well, I'm going to date myself here a little bit. I remember seeing the original uh, movie, uh, uh, A New Hope, in 1977, it um, we were the, when we first saw it, we weren't at home. We were like traveling somewhere, like on a summer car trip or something like that. And I remember just walking out of the theater, just going, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> and I was a perfect age for that kind of stuff, and I was just completely blown away. And then the next thing I knew, it was just like we were just all about the Star Wars. We had the action figures. A buddy of mine had like he had a lot of the play action sets. And it was just sort of in our life everywhere uh, all the time. And then, you know, and then we had the next uh, two movies to complete that first trilogy. And then it just sort of faded from my life. I never really got into the comics or the books or any of the other material. And mm -hmm. I never I haven't gone into any of the animated series. Um, and so I don't. And then, of course, I, I was not a personal fan of the prequel trilogy, it just didn't hit the the mark for me, and I know there's different reasons to that that people like those from a completeness of the universe and the storytelling standpoint um, to a different filmmaking style. It just didn't th those three films just didn't work for me, and I was pretty excited when the the second trilogy was announced and came out. And Force Awakens was a lot of fun, a lot of member berries, lots of uh, fan service stuff. And then I didn't enjoy the, the next two. And I will say, and I don't want to touch that because I know a lot of people have a lot of different takes on it. It was just personally, I didn't enjoy them. My favorite film, though, of all of the films, like all, all the films, is Rogue One. I absolutely love that film. I enjoy the characterizations. I enjoy the action, the story setup. And so when I heard that... Andor was coming, I was pretty excited to see what they were going to do with this. And I have to say, I am loving this show. I am, for as much energy and effort we're putting into Rings of Power right now, I'm more excited when Andor is coming up than I am Rings of Power. I'm sorry. It's just, I love a good spy thriller. I love a good noir mystery type story. And uh, that's really scratching my itch with We're this all entitled to our wrong opinions, David. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I'm only human. I am flawed. <laughs> Here's my wrong opinion. I really loved uh, the Last Jedi, so uh, it's uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right in Andor at thelorehounds.com. We can still be podcast friends, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right. Well, let's get into it now that we've got a little background. Before we get into the season itself, I want to shout out just as a kind of a, a primer to set us up a little bit, um, and we can talk about our overall thoughts on the season so far. But I've just got to get this in. The poster for this show and the font design, I love this. From a graphic design, visual art standpoint, this is some of my favorite stuff here. If you look at the, the font, the O in Andor is in negative space, right? Ah. So, yeah. And then when we look at the poster, who's looming over all of the other characters? It's not the big bad. It's our protagonist. So our protagonist is both our antagonist and protagonist? I don't know. Can you do that? But what I really like is in a lot of the other Star Wars uh, poster art, you usually see Darth Vader looming above everybody else, and then you have all your heroes sort of down out in front. And in this one, we've got Andor Cassian himself uh, looming over the, um, the, the cast of characters. And I just, 
uh, such intelligent design I, and the greediness and the very sort of 70s feel to the, the, the way that the, the texture of the paper. Uh, I was just really happy when I saw those and it gave me a lot of feels for coming into the episode. Is Cassian his own worst enemy? That's exactly the point. And that's why I'm loving this storyline because it's a man wrestling with himself. Yeah. And I think that's in, I don't know, you know, different people talk about how many stories are there really in the storytelling world. And this is definitely one of the archetypes, right? Uh, uh, a person struggling with their own internal feelings and thoughts and histories, their own demons, if you will. Um, and I think this is just a, a really uh, fertile ground to do a lot of really cool storytelling. Well, you look at Nemec going up to, to Cassian and saying, you're my ideal reader when he says basically like, you know, I just know what I'm against. I, I don't have any have any uh, thoughts about it other than I'm against these people. You're my ideal reader. And I think that that's so good for this series because I think the point of this series is that revolutions aren't just about the people who are sure about it. They're about the normal people who have just been tossed out of their normal lives and forced into a situation in which they have to take drastic action. And I think Cassian is the epitome of that, where he'd rather not be involved with this. But as Luthen says to him, are you going to just slowly fade away or are you going to throw your life away in a way that matters? I'm going to slightly disagree with you and agree with you at the same time. There's a great scene where um, they're walking up the hill. I think it's in episode four. And with, uh, oh, and uh, dear listeners, please forgive us. We're still getting our feet underneath the show, so we don't have all of the character names right in front of us. We're still learning the language of the show. So if we get a few names wrong here or there, please accept our apologies. We'll, we'll, we'll nail it down. We'll get it locked down uh, uh, going forward. Um, but I think he's with Kel, the leader of the, um, the uh, yeah. rebels who are, are going to um, do the heist. The and wait. she says, huh? The Waif from Game of Thrones. Oh, I didn't realize that. There you go. Nice. Nice pull. Um, she, you know, she says, you know, we've all got our own struggles that we have to bear. We've got our own revolutions. And I, I really like that because that's part of that storytelling of a person coming to grips with their own internal issues is, is this sort of mini revolution that you have to go through internally. And I think both externally and internally, that is a, a, a very cool juxtaposition that the, the storytellers, the writers of the show are, are giving us. Where I am going to diverge with you slightly is I don't think Cassian is a normal guy. Ever, you know, starting from his beginnings on Canari all the way through. And that's why Luthien, I find, is a really interesting character because he seeks Luthien out. So what does Luthien, what does Luthien do? Not Luthien, sorry, Luthien. What does Luthien do? He's a curator. He's a collector. Right, he he finds objects of value, and in Cassian, he's found an object of value. So Cassian himself is not ordinary in that way. Hmm, I think that's a good way to put it. I uh, I did not think of it that way. So thanks for for putting it there. Um, uh, Luthen, aside from being a connoisseur of wigs, is a very interesting character. <laughs> he's oh, Stellan Skarsgård is killing it with this role. When he did the little hand gesture in the ship after he does his transformation. I fell out of my chair. That was just <laughs> amazing. He is excellent. I mean, he, he was great in Chernobyl. He was great in Goodwill Hunting. One of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How do you and, like those uh, apples? Yeah, I, I like them a lot. 
No, I, I think he's an excellent actor, and I'm so glad that they had him in here. I was like, oh, man, he's here when he showed up. You know who else is killing it is uh, Mon Mothma. Uh, Mothma. Uh, we're going to, you know, we've, we've done a good job at butchering the names in Tolkien's world, and uh, now we're going to bring it to the Star Wars world. Um, the actress, who I don't have her name in front of me, but uh, she is doing an amazing job with that characterization. Just flawless delivery. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, she has big uh, Queen of Genovia energy, um, but in a good way. I think that, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, Princess Diaries? No, you got me there. Oh, come on. See, this is where our, our millennial and Gen Xer stuff starts to diverge <laughs> and, and our and our references just aren't adding up. You know, you've got me who grew up with the prequel films and you who grew up with the the original trilogy a little more. And uh, and we've got to connect somewhere in the middle. Yes. Well, we have our podcast to, to bind us together, to coax each other closer together, to create an alloy, if you will. Check out The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Shameless plug for our other podcast. Well, so... I think we can both say that we're positive about what we've seen so far, um, and we're excited to keep talking about it. Yeah. So do you want to get into breaking down the, the first arc, the first three episodes? I'd love to. Okay. Um, so this is a, uh, and we, I get slightly to back up again. Sorry, uh, folks, we're, we're still getting our feet around this, but there's so much richness in this and we're, we're super excited. So... One final thing I want to point out is is that the way that this story is being laid out is the first three episodes are a story arc unto themselves. They connect to four, five, and six. Apparently, seven is going to be a standalone, and then we're going to get eight, nine, and ten as an arc, and then 11, 12 as an independent arc. Season two is going to come back with 24 episodes. Oh, my gosh. For 24 episodes. No, sorry, 12 episodes. I was going to say, are we back in like 2010? <laughs> exactly. Lost is episodes. just going on and on, on and on. And, on. and in season two, they're going to do the same thing, but I think it's going to be a little tighter. Uh, one through three, four, five, six. Uh, they're going to do four story arcs that way. And one of the things that they've done is for these individual arcs, it's a writer paired with a director. And I think it's an important segue that we just talk about this really quickly. This is a really interesting thing that I don't think you could do outside of the streaming platform. And I think it's an innovative way of creating streamed television content. Each of these is like about each of these three story, you know, say if it's a three episode little arc, that's about a movie length in, uh, in total time watching. And I like the idea rather than uh, juggling every writer or lead writer in, a, in the writer's room and different directors coming in, they're pairing a, write, a lead writer with a director for that arc so that we have a consistency in story, in characterization, in terms of color grading, all of those kinds of things. And I think it's a really smart way to make streamed television content. I don't know. What do you think? No, I'm really loving it so far. I mean, I wasn't Alan Seppenwall really cranky about this? I didn't read Alan on this one actually. Oh, somebody somebody was really cranky about uh, oh, we're 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 turning TV into movies, but you know what? The the boundaries are so blurred at this point. Everybody's got a TV that they're comfortable with at this point, and uh, and is watching more movies at home than at the theater. I think that it's time to just let go, let go, Alan, and <laughs> let Disney Plus do what it wants. 
I think this is smart uh, a smart way to make um, the show. And we know that we're going to get two seasons. We know that we've got 24 episodes total. And we know the ending point. So this is another one of those shows that takes a prequel approach to a known beginning or ending for a character and then sort of hooking him up like a train car to that storyline. Uh, we're seeing that with um, Rings of Power. We're seeing that with uh, House of the Dragon. We did a little bit of that with um, Better Call Saul, which I just absolutely adored. Um, so they're they're doing this thing. and it's a, it's a, It seems to be a zeitgeist in the in the marketplace right now, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So that said, we're going to kind of talk about Episodes one through three is their own arc, and then we'll uh, talk about uh, four, five, and six uh, as their second little arc. So, John, in one through three, we have basically an origin story. Yeah, um, I'm. I, I was very impressed with this origin story. I'm, I'm going to say I uh, got about halfway through Obi Wan Kenobi. I want to finish it, but I got not at all through Book of Boba Fett. Uh, I, I am not somebody who's watching every single one of these Star Wars shows on Disney Plus. Right. Or even the MCU shows because, I've you know, I've heard they're faltering a little bit. Uh, and you told me how great this was and I put it on and I couldn't take my eyes away. It was it hooked me right away. I felt like I wanted to know what would happen to Cassian, even though, you know, I know the end point. I saw Rogue One. Uh, but it just made me want it made me care about him and his motivations and the people around him. Nice. The just the in the very opening scene with the um, walking down the causeway and the camera sort of focusing on the lights and having that sort of hypnotic effect. And then we turn and then we pan and then we follow Cassian into the city, into the corporate zone. Really Blade Runner like, uh, you know, dark, rainy man of mystery here. What's going on? Where is this? Why is this? I really like that they don't do any exposition up front. They take us right into the story. And I think that they tell us who Cassian is right away. He's someone, first of all, who's deeply riddled with guilt yeah. about his sister and, and about who he is generally. Yep. Um, and someone who's trying to make it right and who tries to right his wrongs. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on that, but I'm totally with you on it. Totally. That's why he's looking for her. Right, exactly, and uh, he's he's somebody who's willing to take a risk for somebody he cares about, and I, and I think that he's somebody whose loyalties don't die hard, and they told us all that by bringing us to a prostitution ring. Right, and then they told us that he's hard-boiled by the way that he interacts with the two corporate security guys. So in the world of, I'm not a, a big noir, hard-boiled, you know, reader connoisseur, but I, I really enjoy them, and so I've, you know, poked around a little bit in the literature and stuff. And I think it's important to, to make a distinction, well, at least in my mind, and people can write in and disagree with me if, if they think noir is something different. But for me, one of the hallmarks of noir is when the protagonist suddenly is exposed to a greater power structure in the world than they knew about originally. So suddenly there are more sinister forces at work than were originally perceived. Whereas hard-boiled as a genre is the protagonist is just a badass, right? They, they, they know the world. They know the rules of the world. They know if they punch a bigger bully in the nose that that bully's going to back down. Whereas in noir, they may punch the bigger bully in the nose, but then out of the shadows, somebody else comes who the protagonist never even perceived as existing. And so we see right away in this story that Cassian is definitely hard-boiled. He can hold his own uh, against all comers. 
Sure, but I, but again, I think that there's that soft exterior, like even just the fact that he tells his friend, "I'll leave some money. Uh, I'll leave some money for you before I go." When he didn't need to do that, he's fucking off. He's he's not coming back for a while. Right. Uh, right. But he says, "No, no, I'm going to pay my debt here." So I I think that it's a really good character where we where we see somebody who can hold his own, but is not a jerk. And so then as we start to get more into Cassian's life as he's uh, uh, moving around Ferex, we see that he's a man whose options are starting to close down on him. He's not only has he gotten in trouble by murdering two corporate guards, but um, there's other people who are looking for money from him. There's the guy in the shipyard who he borrows the ship from. Uh, who is like, man, don't come back. Like, this is the end of it. Um, great comical scene with the, the friend on the street, you know, who he borrowed oh, money yeah. from and, and has the big guy standing. Really light touch comedy. I, and it he also shows me us- I did just need to stand here. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. But that also shows us that Cassian, like you said, it points it to a, a softer side of him. Right, yeah. He Instead of just getting defensive and, and sort of attacking the guy standing behind him, he goes... You doing okay? You're working on jobs like this. <laughs> right. Are you doing okay, buddy? <laughs> that was great. That was really good. Or the way that he um, addresses the droid. Sure. Uh, when he's in the ship, you know, and the way that he sort of touches the droid gently and pulls out that little piece of, of metal. That here's a man who does who does care about people and, and care about things. Right. So um, there's so much to talk about. I think we ha- we do have to limit ourselves because we want to want to keep this a bit tight. Um, I think another big element that we have to talk about is the uh, the kids on Canari and the origin story of how Cassian came to be with Marva. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, just the fact that it's basically mirroring what's happening in his real life, mm. in his current life, I should say. Oh, uh, I didn't even catch that. That's really good. Yeah. I think that was the whole point that they were trying to get at, which was, you know, I mean, it's especially poignant at the end when he's escaping in both scenes. Totally. uh, Via different rescuers. I just got chills just remembering how they edited that sequence together where the light coming through the cockpit window is shining on his face in, in both sort of scenes. Really expert editing, like beautifully, beautiful visual storytelling. Both climaxes of the two arcs, and I won't go too deep into arc two yet, yeah. really were excellent in the fact that they both had dual scenes happening. They they had yes. scenes side by side that yes. really added to each other where it was greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, the editing on this show is, again, just another expert level in storytelling. And I'm just I'm so impressed with... Uh, how they're weaving all of this stuff together. It's its a visual feast. Yeah, no, it is. And I, I mean, Star Wars has always been something that pushes boundaries on visuals. And I think that Andor is just another layer of that. And I, I was just thinking as I was watching it, because I had just watched Rings of Power and House of the Dragon, and I was just thinking to myself, man, how great is it that we live in an era where we have three 
beautiful, beautiful <laughs> shows yes. on the small screen. Like, I don't have to go anywhere to do this. And they're streaming on services that I already have. Because I have a young kid, so I have Disney+. Plus. I'm not. That's not going anywhere for years. Right. Um, and, you know, Amazon Prime, you got to get packages every now and then. And uh, HBO has just become the prestige machine. So, but, but it's just amazing how for such little value you could actually watch these amazing scenes where you used to have to pay 20 bucks to go to the theater. So another segue on that, too, um, and something we didn't touch about in the sort of setup for the show is the fact that this is Star Wars, but not Star Wars. Um, and that um, and, and I'll tie this into what you said in here in just a second. We had some family visiting this weekend and uh, I my spouse uh, had wanted to see uh, Andor as well. And so I said, well, you know, we can watch it again together. I got a podcast about it, so I got to watch it again. And then we invited our family member who was visiting us for the weekend to to watch with us. And they were they don't know Darth Vader from Mr. Spock. Um, they're just you know different generation, different entertainment that likes. Not this is just not stuff that they're they're into. We binge watched over two nights the first six episodes. By the end of it, they said to me, "When this show is over, tell me, and I'm going to sign up for Disney for the week trial or whatever." finish the episode, and then I'll cancel my membership uh, or my subscription, because that's how good this was. We didn't have to go to a movie theater. We had a movie-length entertainment that we could all enjoy together on the screen in our living room. And that, as you you were just pointing out, is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I, I was blown away by a lot of the stuff. I mean, I'll still say Rings of Power still takes the cake on on pretty visuals because, oh, yeah. you know, you know what? You spend a billion dollars, you're going to get some good special <laughs> effects. But, um, you know, for not being a billion dollar show, this is an incredible show. I mean, it's I think it blows House of the Dragon out of the water, to be honest, as really? far as the visuals go. I mean, Ooh. I'll say the climax of of uh, of the, the second arc, I was I was really blown away by and And I don't think that House of the Dragon has met that visual standard yet. No, House of the Dragon currently is very dark. It's a lot of stuff in the Red Keep. And yeah, I, I agree. Did they not learn from the long night? Uh, obviously not. <laughs> Sapochnik's sand is still uh, invisible over this show, I guess. All right, back to the Star Wars. Back to the Star Wars. So what did you think about their decision to not offer subtitles for the kids talking in whatever language, in Canari, uh, uh, when we were with the scenes in the origin story? I thought that was good. I mean, it, it's not the first piece of medium I've seen to do that, but okay. uh, I think that it is a good technique for when you either want to show things from the perspective of the person who's not understanding, or if you want to portray confusion, and I think they were doing the latter here. I just, it didn't matter what they were saying. You could intuit everything that was going on in those relationships without having to know what they were, what the words meant that, that, were, that were coming out of their mouths. Yeah. No, it was, it was very good. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. And then there we go. We've got Cassian. So we've got one of them. I've been tracking some of the mysteries, and we'll try to check them off as we go through here. But obviously, we start with who is Cassian's sister and why is he trying to find her? Is that Cassian's sister, the young girl that we see sort of, are they refugees? Are they a ship that crashed and they're no adults? Because they certainly look like they're a Lord of the Flies style uh, society. Not in the conflict of Lord of the Flies, but just children taking care of themselves in the wilderness. Are they Lord of the Flies or are they more like children of the corn? I mean, who knows? <laughs> well, 
And what's with the... So here's another of the mysteries that comes out of this is what was that ship and what was that yellow smoke right. that killed uh, those um, those crew members on that ship? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of mysteries around his childhood. I'm hoping that they resolve them this season because waiting another season for that would be traumatic for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So we culminate in the episode with Luthen coming to meet Cassian and, uh, you know, so, uh, ostensibly to uh, trade for this piece of Imperial tech uh, so that um, uh, Cassian can, uh, can escape the, the closing net around him. Um, what did you make of the, the finale of the first arc? I really enjoyed the tension of it. Honestly, uh-huh. it was done really well. I was I was thinking, how are they going to get out of here? Um, the escape was not far fetched, which I really appreciated. Right. Um, I especially two things really got to me, which was one, Luthien had placed explosives on the door yeah. before walking in. That was that was great, and it, that's within his character as we see later. Right. Um, and then two is the the. Uh, the pod racing, the uh, the the two, <laughs> the the fake pod racing where they're like sending out the explosive pod, and uh, and as a fake out, and then and then going off separately. Um, watching the downfall of this sniveling imperial or I guess corporate uh, police officer was amazing. Yeah, uh, he is someone that he's the type of character you love to hate, and this guy, this actor, is just killing it. Because I want to punch him in the face every time I look at him. <laughs> Detective Inspect, uh, de- uh, Deputy Inspector Karn. Yeah, yeah. He's he is so good at playing that character. He's about to pop a blood vessel every time he looks at the camera, and uh, and, and I'm loving it. I um. So we'll get back to the 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 thing in a second. I do want to talk about Karn for a second. I love the performance that this guy is delivering. And the thing that really struck me, which is a, a sort of a more four, five episode four, five, and six uh, element, is this kid has got some serious PTSD coming out of what Cassian did to him. Not only putting a blaster to his head and binding him up and gagging him, but completely punking him by sending out the fake car and then blowing up and and uh, killing a bunch of the prelocks security guards. The that security detail. So. He's got a real bone to pick with Cassian, and I don't think we've seen the last of him by any means. And what's amazing is that uh, Karn's boss calls the situation right away. Oh, that was a brilliant scene. It was amazing. I mean, so my wife just cannot stand Star Wars, and uh, don't don't message us about that. She's not a host. But uh, <laughs> our personal but lives are out. Yeah, she was uh, she was watching this with me. She watched the first couple episodes with me at least, and she was watching that scene where the 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 head uh, the head officer was basically dressing down Karn and telling him exactly what was happening here, and my wife just went yup. Yup, <laughs> like after every sentence he made, and I and I said, "Wow, so this works for everybody." So, um, yeah, I I mean, he called it. He was saying, you know, these guys are violent. They probably pissed off the wrong guy, and yeah. they probably would have, you know, they probably would have been dead anyway because they were not good officers and they weren't right. being honorable here. And Karn, in his self righteous bullshit, 
goes and gets how many dozens of officers killed yeah. in the name of justice for these two people who were literally robbing someone. Right, right. So this this brings me to an interesting point. I heard from another um, Twitch creator and and uh, a guy who's got a little company that does some D and D related stuff. But he's a he's an interesting character and and does a lot of um, uh, critique of of modern um, culture and TV and stuff. Um, and he pointed out that there's a guy that worked on Star Trek originally, Bob Justman, and he had a good test kind of like the shippy test but for what makes a good episode what makes for a good episode of tv and what makes for a bad episode of tv and i'm going to sort of paraphrase here that a good episode of tv is when conflict arises naturally out of the motivations of the characters and a bad episode of tv is when con when um characters act in the need to advance the plot and I think we see at every stage here, especially with somebody like Karn and Karn's boss, that they're acting out of character. And then that's where that conflict is arising, as opposed to forcing the plot forward uh, artificially. And I think that's another mark of the, the quality of the show. And you have to ask yourself, too, like, OK, so Karn stayed up all night thinking about this and trying yes. to trying to track this down. And he's just filled with self-righteous glory he says you know what i'm gonna get a promotion out of this i just i discovered this crazy thing i'm gonna go after it this is gonna be my moment to make my mom proud because we know from the next segment he's got mommy issues and uh and then he's he's standing there he goes commander boy do you need to hear this and he got and he just basically dismisses him outright and not yeah. not just dismisses him but dismantles his whole world view yes basically just says like no an officer's life isn't necessarily worth what you're saying shut up and go back to putting your head down. And that must have been soul-crushing for him. And so a part of me says, if the commander just says to him, yeah, you know what, that's terrible. We'll look into it when I get back. Yeah. That probably avoids that whole problem. But but just dressing him down and really just breaking him as a human being really sets Karn into motion. And I think that both of those actors really sell that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's so believable that he is so single-mindedly focused on Cassian now because it's much easier to blame Cassian than it is to blame yourself or your commander. Exactly. And that's where that natural, that's where the dramatic tension is arising because the characters are acting from the core of who they are, not because we've got some writers trying to push a plot forward. Right. And I think that's what, yeah, I agree with you 100% that that's what sells this whole aspect, which then propels Cassian's um, fleeing into the arms of Luthen. Right, yeah. He he drove him into his arms because I don't think Cassian takes that job if he has a choice. No, I, I don't think so. It would have been a very long, I think Luthen would have had to lay out some more um, enticements to get uh, Cassian to come over. Clem, good old Clem. Good old Clem. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about in the first three um, episodes? I'm sure there's something deep in my brain, but nothing comes to mind. Yeah, there there's so much richness into this. So, I think we're just we're just doing our best here with uh, these first six episodes. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The second 
uh, well, we could call it act, second act, or the second arc, episodes three through six. We can kind of call the heist. Star Wars is best served as a heist. That's kind of true, isn't it? I hadn't thought about that before. That's a good one. Tell me more. You got Rogue One. Uh-huh. You got you got a lot of things going on with uh, with the Death Star in uh, in A New Hope. Yeah, uh, I, I think that Star Wars has always been best as a heist. I mean, even if you look at, uh, I mean, I guess it's not really a heist; it's more of an escape mission. But it has the heist vibe in in Episode Three when you have uh, Anakin and Obi Wan just fighting through that ship in the intro. Uh huh. So I think that Star Wars is best served as a heist movie. Right in. That's an interesting. That's an interesting take. So to set up the the heist a little bit, we've got Cassian is now in the hands of of Luthen, who takes him uh, to uh, remind me the name of the um, uh, Aldari is the name of the the planet. <laughs> yeah, uh, Aldani. Where Aldani? Thank you. Apologies, Aldani. Where he's inserted into a group of uh, rebels, proto rebels, who are going to steal. The payroll, the imperial payroll for an imperial sector, a quarterly payroll, I believe, is is what it was. Uh, that is an excellent heist setup. Yeah, yeah, and and can I just say the clink of the money as they're yes. loading it up <laughs> was just so satisfying. Every time they did it, I was like, oh yeah, that is that is just hidden that sound spot, you know. Right, right. John, uh, I know generationally where we, um, we have some different experiences. Did you ever in your travels um, come to enjoy the older World War II era, uh, not World War II era, but World War II, World War II subject movies, things like um, Where Eagles Dare, um, Dirty Dozen, Force 10 from Navarone, Guns of Navarone, stuff like that? I have no memory of this place. Okay. <laughs> so um, I would strongly encourage you and anyone who's listening to this podcast that there are some excellent filmmaking from that era and that genre. Shut up, old man. <laughs> Get off my lawn. So I was listening to the House of Podcastica podcast coverage of this, and they put their finger on this, and it totally opened my eyes. I was like, yes. This is color graded to look exactly like those older World War II films. So uh, Force 10 from Navarone, Von Ryan's Express, Where Eagles Dare, The Dirty Dozen, uh, Kelly's Heroes. This is that gray tone with the military uniforms of the the Imperium and the ragtag look of, of the rebels. Uh, this is very much, there's a great film, Force 10 from Navarone, with uh, Harrison Ford in an early role. role. They're sent in behind enemy lines in, uh, in what is now the Balkans and sort of Croatia, Yugoslavia area. And they've got to work with some partisans and, you know, you know blow up a German installation. Um, the color grading and the terrain, everything is almost uh, one for one for what's in that film. So I really love that this is our Star Wars story. Yeah, I mean, I've never thought about it like that as a, as a war movie. Uh, but I, I mean, I guess it's a war. But as far as a World War II influence, we've been talking a lot about World War One with Tolkien, and that's been in my head so much. Yeah, uh, that that I've I've hardly considered World War Two at this point. <laughs> Did you pick up on the the Vietnam War era vibes in um, Rogue One? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. They they were going for that for like really hardcore. 
Yeah, and I think that they're going for the World War II vibe, at least in this story arc for the heist. A lot, a lot fewer years between the two wars in this universe. Yes, <laughs> very much so. You know, that's fine. But uh, as a visual style, I thought it was a really great uh, choice by the the showrunner and the and the director and the writer on this one. Right. All right. So we have this heist set up um, where Cassian's brought in to join this crew, and the crew is not very happy about it at all. Well, they're not getting paid, so... No, I mean, they're not. They're, they're just... I, I love that. We're eating roots, and you're paying this guy 200K? Are you kidding? <laughs> right. <laughs> and we get a lot of great intimate character moments here, and we get to see Cassian even more in operation. Look, all I'm saying is Luthen seems to be able to move pretty freely. He can't get a few bowls of soup in there. I mean, it's, uh, I, I just don't understand why Luthen is leaving these guys high and dry. Well, he's got to be careful, right? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a, it's a funny question. Um, but I just thought that all of the characters, Skeen, um, uh, I forget, Terryman. Um, who else do we have? Who's the philosopher, the political philosopher? Nemec. Um, Nemec. Um, Sinta. Oh, she's stone cold. She is. Yep. Uh, she's the real anchor of, of that team. I just thought it was a really interesting group. And I loved the interplay with Skeen and, and Cassian. Both guys, as, as Skeen says, who climb their way out of their hold. And the only way that they know to survive is to climb over somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that, that uh, has a sad playing out. Uh, it's uh, not the greatest ending. No. Um, okay, we got to talk about something here. Uh, again, slight segue. Does Cassian have a problem? He just could, he has no problem just straight up murdering people. He has no problem pulling the trigger. Well, yeah, he's a little murdery, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that we see he does in Rogue One is shoot a guy uh, who can't, you know, who's wounded and is not going to be able to climb over a wall. Um in the on the causeway with the uh, uh, corporate security guys, right? He, one is is killed accidentally, but he stone cold murders the other guy, and then he he uh, pulls the trigger on Skeen again, and and I I noticed this in the first opening sequence with the corporate security guys is after he he shoots the second guy, he does have a moment of of sort of moral crisis. He turns away, and there's a conflicted look on his face. With Skeen, it's there as well, but uh, a little less. He's a little bit more comfortable having done what he did. Well, I think that Skeen, I think he sees himself in Skeen and he's like, Oh, totally. If I had slightly worse morals, I would be a fucking monster. And this guy needs to be taken out before he kills the rest of us. So this is an interesting setup, isn't it? Because right after he sort of murders himself in some ways, right? He sees himself in the mirror of Skeen. He goes in and he's in a vulnerable state in some ways. And then that's when he's given Nemec's manifesto. Yeah, because again, he's the ideal reader. He's the one who is kind of unsure about where he stands, but is probably the most easily influenced. And the the one who needs to hear those words. Yeah, yeah. And he's in a place now that he can hear them because he's just had to confront himself, the worst natures of himself. And now he's being offered a better sense of himself. 
is Cassian the moral sociopath that Amos Burden from The Expanse is? And was <laughs> Nemec going to be his Holden, but now he's gone. But maybe the book of Nemec will be his Holden. That's an. E- <laughs> oh, I love podcasting. I love it for these uh, <laughs> these kind of interesting takes. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a very interesting one. I think. I think. I think um, Amos definitely never had the machinery to uh, to be a moral agent. That's why he always needed somebody else. He always he always needed. Um, 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 oh, I'm blanking the characters. I can see their faces. Holden. Holden and uh, Naomi. Yeah. No, I I don't think that Cassian's really a sociopath. I'm I'm no. I'm more joking about that to compare him with with Amos than not. But um, what I what I'm saying more is that Cassian is damaged in a way where he needs someone to be his guiding light to get him back on the right path. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a, and and now he's got a bridge. He's got a causeway out of out of the darkness that he's been in. Yeah. Well, Cassian is uh, is being sort of business leal. I would say, uh, you know, he. Uh, <laughs> He's leal to the point where the paycheck is coming in, which is, you know what, that's fair. That's fair. He's business leal. He's in survival money. And this is where an an, an interesting line that I picked up where Skeen says, basically, I'm here for the money. Well, uh, Cassian says it first, and then Skeen says it back to him. And where else have we heard a roguish archetype state that they're only in it for the money? Han Solo, right? So I love that little member berry that they threw in there like, oh, yeah, you know. Here we have this, you know, uh, this uh, um, uh, chaotic element who's here just to save themselves and who ultimately comes out to save the world, right? I mean, if Han Solo hadn't covered Luke's, you know, uh, rear uh, on on the trench run, right, Luke wouldn't have been able to do what he did. Well, how long until George Lucas comes in and changes it so that uh, Skeeden shot at Cassian first. <laughs> I don't know if I get that one. You don't know about that? How they how George Lucas had edited it so that Han was shot out before he shot at the guy in the cantina? No. Oh, this is a... Hold on. We're going to break this down for a second. For those at home okay. who don't know, um, in the original cut of Star Wars, uh-huh. later titled A New Hope, Han Solo shot first at the person in the bar threatening him, in the cantina threatening him. And then later... In the, I think, around 2000 remaster and uh, re-edit versions, George Lucas changed it so that Han was shot at first because he wanted it to be more like Han as a hero. Oh, wow. So I never really watched one of those remastered ones. Um, so maybe that's why I, I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, it's uh, it's very controversial. That's why you see people going, Han shot first. It's like a, it's like a, they're, they're a Han Solo truther. <laughs> that's funny yeah well i i am definitely leal to the first version uh you know han was protecting himself just like cassian uh and he's gonna shoot first if he if he thinks that the stakes are high enough yeah yeah no i wish george lucas left it that way because it creates a more morally complex character that's right um okay so back to the heist uh, well, we've got more than just the heist because we've got two um, B. Well, we've got three storylines, don't we? Under writing underneath this, we've got the Internal Security Bureau with uh, Mister Kyburn, <laughs> um, which is a great casting choice. Uh, we've got uh, Inspector Karn. Well, now uh, deposed uh, Detective Inspector Karn at home, and then we have Mon Mothma and her domestic life. Of those three, well, let's talk a little bit about the ISB with the the uh, Imperial Internal Security Bureau. Very cool scenes 
I thought that they were so like rich and political and I loved seeing the new person try to try to do the right thing and be competent and being told like, well, you haven't crossed your T's and dotted your I's on uh, your standard report. So uh, best not go pursue something. And the um, way that they gave us the exposition about what the ISB was, was so deftly done. They told us without telling us. Right, you know, they, yeah. they, he actually lays it out specifically. Um, you know, we're 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 healthcare providers, which I just thought was some <laughs> some of the most excellent writing I'd uh, I've I've ever heard. Um, and I, it was a really brilliant setup for for giving us this banality of evil. I mean, this is how evil empires are run: is by filling in your quarterly reports on time. Have you been reading Hannah Arendt? No, but she is very much in my mind and uh, and is in our thoughts these days uh, as we're dealing with what we're dealing with. No, yeah, I mean, I love Hannah Arendt's work. I, I uh, have studied her work actually quite a lot, and I think okay. that the banality of evil is such a cool concept that applies so well in Star Wars. And Absolutely. Even, even in things like Harry Potter, you can see like how people are just so comfortable settling into the everyday regularity of evil being done. Right. And Star Wars has that to a T. I mean, how many decades does the Empire last? Right. Where people are just going to work and doing their jobs for the Empire. And I mean, even uh, what's the name of the the uh, Gorn? Is that his name? Yeah. The, Lieutenant the, Gorn. Yeah. 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 Lieutenant oh, yeah. We Gorn. forgot about him as the heist crew. I apologize. Lieutenant That's all right. Gorn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. We lost you too soon. Well, Gorn, I mean, you look at him and how did he get into the rebellion? Well, he didn't get a promotion and he fell in love with a local girl. I mean. Right. It's uh, it's not that he just felt a strong cause against the Empire. He was just kind of pissed off. And uh, if, if that hadn't happened to him, would he ever have done the right thing? Right. And, and to talk about the banality of evil uh, some more, it's really great to see, again, this is adult Star Wars, right? When Lieutenant Gorn is walking uh, the, the top of the dam and he runs into that one communications officer, I don't know if you noticed... But that guy flicks something off as Lieutenant Gorn comes up to him. He was having a smoke. Mm. He was out having a smoke break. And then, and I forget the ISB officer's name, I apologize, because she's uh, doing a great job as well. She pops a stimmy when they're like, okay, we're going to pull up all nighter. Boom. You know, she, so this is like some really adult themed stuff that's going on in our Star Wars. Yeah, no, there it's it's getting closer to the expanse. It's not there, but it's uh, getting closer <laughs> to that level of of grit, as they say. I'm really looking forward to seeing how I, I um, should we. Well, a, a, a side prediction: I'm wondering if uh, Inspector Karn is going to end up engaged with the ISB somehow. They do seem like kindred spirits, except she seems more competent. Yeah, I think she's going to need him, and I don't wonder if. Um, this is something where maybe Uncle Harlow uh, is going to, you know, because um, um, Karn's mother was going to call in a favor to Uncle Harlow. I don't wonder if somehow that that favor doesn't connect um, Karn uh, into the ISB. Hmm. That would be fun. Although he said, uh, Uncle Harlow said that uh, police work didn't really suit him. So I don't know if they're going to try to get him into something else. I wonder if he'll end up in a very strange situation that is completely unrelated and it'll bring him on Cassian's path again. So on the theory of uh, Karn getting connected to uh, Deidre, Miro, 
Remember that part of, major part of Gaz, her boss, says to her or asks her, you know, when, she's, when she goes in to, to confront him, like why she can't get jurisdiction over the other case. He says, you came from enforcement, didn't you? And so did Karn come from enforcement. So I think there's a pathway there for Karn to end up working with uh, Miro in the ISB somehow. Because enforcement is not intelligence. Okay, but how funny would it be if Karn ends up as a janitor at ISB <laughs> and then has his uniform underneath the whole time and just rips it off Superman style and is ready to go? <laughs> okay, maybe that's in character for Karn. <laughs> it totally is, though, right? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, that's a funny speculation, but I'm not going with that. <laughs> <laughs> So um, that's the ISB. We're definitely waiting to see more coming out of that. Uh, then we have um, Karn at home with his mother. Yeah, that is an incredible scene. You know who I recognized her from, the mother? is She was in Harry Potter. Did you ever see that Harry Potter movie? I think it's the third one where uh, Harry is uh, getting caught with the Dementors and the neighbors just there like shaking and he's like, oh, hello, Harry. It's a, she's, she's very a very different character in that, but she was very funny in that, too. And I saw her, and I was like, wow, that is a different person she's playing. What a range. Alas, our generational divide uh, shows itself again. Uh, I am not conversant with the uh, Harry Potter uh, IP. I apologize. Well, I hope that somebody listening knows it, because <laughs> it made me happy when I realized. Yes. For sure. I did like the blue milk and the little cereal that were sort of shaped in like round Death Star like planetoids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I love that. The, I love their scenes together. I mean, you see how Karn became who he is oh, by the way goodness, he interacts right? with his mother. I mean, he's just constantly looking for approval. I mean, that's what he's doing when he comes to his commander with the whole issue with Cassian is he's saying, please, daddy, show me my show me your approval and tell me I did a good job. And the dialogue was so sharp between them about how they were antagonizing each other. It was really, really excellently written and delivered uh, uh, scenes. An open invitation is no invitation at all. And I was like, ooh, that, that's a good line. That was, that was excellent. Um, okay, so lastly, let's talk quickly about Mon Mothma, our senator, and her domestic life. It doesn't seem like there's a happy home there. No, um, everyone is upset with each other there. I mean, the dad is just checked out and just hanging out with people. Um, the, the, yeah, the daughter is just a teenager, you know, yeah. acting like a teenager, a teenager, which is fine, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and and Mon Mothma is just trying to get through life here, trying to do her job and living a very stressful double life that I, I don't think her husband knows about. No, I, I absolutely don't think so. And I think this is a nice hook if you know the story, and you don't have to, but if you know who Mon Mothma is, then you know that she's instrumental in the establishment uh, of, the, of the, uh, the Rebel Alliance. And so for her to see this person who is galactic, you know, who, who will affect the shape, the trajectory of the, the galaxy at home dealing with these domestic issues, that it was really poignant uh, juxtaposition. Yeah, no, it was really good, and I, I didn't even put that together. I had I had blocked out that portion of my memory, so thank you for bringing that in for me. <laughs> so one other little thing, too, about her. Um, she mention, mentions Gorm, the word Gorman or the, or the planet Gorman twice, 
once in her conversation with her husband about dinner seating arrangements, and then again, she's giving a speech in the, the Senate. That is a major, um, a lot of people are talking about this and, and are waiting to, to, to see how this plays out, but they've put in place um, that to join up with, I'm not sure if this is in canon, not canon, I, I get confused about what Disney kept and not kept. But there's a, uh, a major incident that, are, that happens on Gorman that has a direct impact on Mon Mothma and the establishment of the rebellion. And um, they, put they put that down twice in the dialogue. So that means it's coming. So I think the canon status of it is that it was in the old legend stories. Because if you, if you don't know this, when Disney bought Star Wars, a lot of the books were reclassified as what they called legends, quote unquote, which meant that they're not canon, but they're still like within the universe and and they're fun. Um, and then they have a new set of like canon books, but they did bring it back in in Star Wars Rebels, which is a canon animated show. So I believe that this is canon in the universe now. So and if you I did some uh, searching around on the Internet um, and if you. Uh, there are dates given for the incident on Gorman. I'm not going to say too much because if you're not into that world, I don't want to spoil too much about it. Um, but there, at the very opening sequence, when we see Cassian walking across the causeway, they list out the name of the planet, that they're in this corporate zone, and then they list out a, a notation, BBY5, which has to do with a dating system for the Star Wars universe. And... I believe from what I read, what I read a little bit on the internet today was that these dates are going to line up when this incident when in Gore, with Gorman happens. So that little BBY5, if you didn't know what that was, that's what that refers to. And I'm sure we can get some folks to write in to give us some more clues about uh, how the Star Wars timeline and dating structure works. It's sort of an AD, uh, a, a, um, ADBC type of thing. Yeah, Um I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. I'm, I've caught the Star Wars bug a little bit. I've started reading the Thrawn book series. Oh no, you're going. <laughs> I've, uh, I've heard they're very good, and and I'm looking forward to getting through that. Thrawn is a beloved character. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are really into the Thrawn uh, storyline. Yeah, so I, you know, maybe I'll know more about this stuff in the next episode. But uh, so far, I'm really enjoying the series. Yeah, you know what? You know, I can't resist digging into the lore, even though <laughs> I've never been a Star Wars lore guy. I, uh, right. You know, again, I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm just not as deep into it as I am with other fandoms. Um, but you know, I this is cool stuff. Uh, I, Andor only makes me want to go deeper into Star Wars. So, and I think that that's what they need, especially after the mixed reception of the the sequel trilogy and a lot of these Disney Plus shows. I think uh, a lot of the common I, I hear this quite common throughout the the conversation space around the the other Star Wars shows, TV shows, was that it's just like some people with their action figures playing out. Like, what if? Like, wouldn't it be cool if we did this and that? And that sort of what. Book of Boba and, and Mandalorian uh, and Obi-Wan were, whereas we're seeing here, and, and I believe Gilroy, Tony Gilroy, who's the showrunner for this, has been quoted as saying is like, hey, I, I brought in this crew of people to work on this and they started being leal to Star Wars, right? They started genuflecting towards the mythology of Star Wars and I told them, knock it off. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, here. Um, go back to doing why I doing what you're doing, what you were doing doing that I hired you for, which is being an excellent designer, producer, set builder, costumer, you know, writer, whatever. 
And it's not about Star Wars. It's about the story and about this struggle of Cassian to, you know, come into being as who we know he ends up being in Rogue One. Right. People will forget a lore change, but they won't forget a bad story. Right. Absolutely. And it, it will stay with you. And um, I think we should kind of get it wrapped up. Do you have any other thoughts? We didn't really talk about the escape. I think uh, that was an awesome action scene. Uh, and the, the heist was amazing. And seeing the eye was amazing. I thought all of that played out flawlessly. I mean, we alluded to it before, but just the the ceremony with the Donnies happening at yes. the same time as the heist yes. was just amazing. I mean, just the, the rhythm of that ceremony uh, being part of, of... It was almost... You remember that Pink Floyd song, Money, where they have all oh, the different I know sound effects? Oh, oh yes. yeah. I mean, great. I know great, that song. Great album, great song. Uh, but anyway, you know, just these different sort of menial sounds, regular sounds, creating this rhythm of life that is just bringing you through. And you're a sound guy too. One of the sounds that really struck me is when the first of the eye meteoroid things shot over. Like I really wish I had a full Dolby thing. I was listening with headphones though too. Um, man, that sonic boom and that thing streaking across the sky. What a great sound effect. It's chaos in the skies and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. All right. Um, a couple, let me see here. Check my notes. Two other mysteries that we didn't really talk about as we were breaking on the, the um, episode, but things I want to keep my eyes on are um, who is the person that Mon Mothma wants to bring into the circle of trust? That was a conversation that she had with Luthen in his shop when she was pretend buying a gift for her husband. And why does Luthen want his sky crystal back so badly? What's so important to him about that object? So we've got a lot of little hooks that they're going to be uh, playing out, and I'm really excited to see where uh, um, these and a number of other questions go. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk more about this with you. I know that we're going to do one later this week because we didn't even realize when we planned this podcast that it's going to be a standalone episode. But I'm excited to talk more about it. Uh, this has been a super fun conversation. So, David, thank you for telling me to watch the show because it's been really enjoyable. <laughs> My pleasure. I'm glad you decided to come along for the ride. Um, okay, so you can find us on the Bald Move Discord. We've got a channel set up there that is uh, managed for spoilers. So if you're coming in late, don't worry. The mods do an excellent job there at helping everybody use the uh, the spoiler blocking out technology so that we can have conversations, but you don't get um, uh, knocked out for spoilers if you're not caught up. Um, where else can uh, folks find us, John? Yeah, I mean, everyone should be subscribing to this feed if you want more of us. Uh, we're going to be covering the White Lotus soon. Wheel of Time when it comes out. Uh, and we hang out on the Bald Move Discord. We're on Twitter at the Lorehounds. You can email us here at uh, and or at thelorehounds.com and we'll be around. Great, John. Well, again, thanks for coming along for this ride. I'm really excited for this show and um, we'll catch you uh, for episode seven. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. 
This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away in timeline order from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the fourth be with you all, all month and beyond.